better talk some cricket now. And uh, glad to be joined by a lot of former New Zealand cricketer. We've had him on the show before and he's the chief executive at Cricket New South Wales, Lee Jamon. Lee, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. Nice to talk to you again. And uh, just curious now that the Big Bash draft has been done and dusted, uh, what did you make of the format and how satisfied are the Thunder and Sixers in particular with what they got out of it? Uh, I think the, the format for a start, I think, um, was great. Um, a, lo- a lot of the rationale around the draft was to build some momentum and interest in the Big Bash in a time of year that it hadn't previously. And I think in the build-up to the draft, we saw uh, three times as ma- three times the amount of media coverage for the Big Bash than we'd seen previously. So I think in terms of the build-up to the draft, that did a really good job. I think the draft itself would have been compulsive viewing for those who know the game. What, um, what I think it did lack a little bit, and I think this is because of the way it was structured initially, was just some drama. Yeah, we, we weren't competing against other clubs, really. We weren't bidding against other clubs. It really was a draft rather than an auction. Um, and, and, of course, there's been some um, you know, narrative or talk about the players that missed out. I, I, I actually think that yeah, we've ended up with some very, very good T20 players and we had some, some constraints. So, so, overall, I thought it was a, a pretty good start for the draft, to be honest. Uh, Lee, I, I, get the, I get the talk about cricket in, in prime-time footy season and, and, and I know how important and relevant that is, but... Are we not going to face the same dilemma with the BBL that we haven't got the big fish, the big internationals coming and playing? Because I feel even when you look at the, the platinum players through that draft, I think we worked out seven of them are retired from international cricket. So how do we find this balance where, yeah, we get the media attention that we want, but we can then provide a product that is of the highest standard with the best players playing? Oh, yeah, uh, that, that's, a, that's a fair call because when you do look at even the players that missed out, Michael, when you look at Andre Russell and co, yeah. um, you, you could argue that they're on the way down. Yeah, they're not, the they're not in their peak. They're not in their yeah. prime at all. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The ones that we probably have missed out on are your Josh Butlers and Johnny. Yeah. Those um, who are. We know that you know, they have gone to uh, rival leagues. And this is one of, this is one of the real challenges and why the world of cricket is on, on a precipice of change where... We're up against the Emirates League and the South African League, which both have private investment and have both been able to attract some, some very high-quality players that go up against us. So um, my, own, my own view, Mike, is that if we retain the status quo, mm. we are not going to be able to get those players that you talk of yep. for that reason. So we do need to change. If we want those, mm. we need to change something. And is that financially? Do you think that's the most important? Like, not the most important thing, but do you think that's where the players are? That's why they're going to the UAE or, or choosing the South African League over the BBL just because of the significant um, pay difference? Not only that, I think I think it's sort of a, a if you if you like it, it's a pay to view that it's a pay to play. Yeah. Um, so they've got shorter tournaments. You know, I think if we moved, um, you know, or if others moved, and we had a really clear BBL window up against the other the other leagues, that the players would would probably come here because we've got a lot going for us from a big bash perspective. The players love playing in the Australian stadiums in Australian conditions. Um, in Australian weather. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going for the Big Bash. Mm. Um, so it's a mix of, yes, we need to be very competitive on a financial front. And yeah, we know the Emirates are paying 500000 US to, to at least one player in their squad um, for four weeks' work, whereas here, you know, $340,000, 
And although they can play half the games, it still doesn't quite stack up. Mm. So it's a, it's a mix, I think, of what the players would like. And look, Michael, I'm, I'm actually all in favour of the players having a major say in this because they are the ones deriving the value for everyone. What about from your perspective, buddy, from you know New South Wales cricket, and we, we got obviously thunder and sixes, are you, at a posi- are you in a position where you'd be happy to privatise the teams and franchise the team? Because to me it seems like, you look at the IPL, the reason the money's there is because you know they're privately owned. They, yep. they, they've got the money. It seems to me like Cricket Australia for good reason, want to hang on to this competition and keep it their own, but we're never going to be able to keep co- compete financially. No, and look, Cricket New South Wales has actually been yeah, pretty strong and clear that we believe that private equity needs to be seriously looked at and considered. Um, my own view is that there's three, there's three levels at which private equity can come into cricket in our sport. And the first thing I would say is that there's this, a bit of this myth that you bring private equity or private investment into a sport and they take over. That's not the case, and you only need to look across the ditch at New Zealand rugby. Mm. Uh, Silver Lake have taken 6 to 8% stake in New Zealand rugby for about $200 million uh, for one seat around the table. Now, that, that's not ownership. That's not majority ownership, and it's not taking over. And in that deal, there's $60 million that goes into a legacy fund for um, grassroots rugby, and every provincial union is getting money as well. And the provincial unions look after the amateur side of the game principally. So the three levels that private investment or equity could come into our game is at the Cricket Australia level, which New Zealand Rugby has done. I mean, Cricket Australia is, is worth more than New Zealand Rugby, by the way. Um, at the Big Bash League level, so invest actually in the league, or at the club level. And I think it's at our... Uh, sorry, at the team level. Um, and at our team, at the team level, you're going to find that the possible investors would be your IPL clubs. Um, and I know through chatting to some of the IPL clubs that they would uh, put a bid in tomorrow. If we put the, the Sixers and the Thunder and every other Big Bash team on the market, yep. they'd be very interested in it. Um, and also the other myth, Michael, sorry to take up all the, all the uh, airways for the yeah, answer, myth is that the, these IPL owners want to dominate everything as well. well yeah, for they, sure. they, offer, they actually love cricket. Yep. And um, they're less likely to sell a team or a club than a private equity uh, partner is. So um, a long answer to your short question was that we seriously believe that it needs to be really considered. It may not be the panacea, but I, I struggle to see how we're going to be able to afford our game moving forward without really looking at it. Mm. Lee, when do you expect to know whether David Warner can captain or be considered for leadership at the Sydney Thunder? Um, I don't. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what's happening at board level machinations at Cricket Australia at the moment. The status is that uh, David's leadership ban still applies. Um, I know that it's, yeah, it's a Cricket Australia matter. Mm. I know that David is very keen to talk with them about it. Um, and obviously, if David was in the leadership mix, we'd be hugely interested. He's he's a leader, and uh, I think it's just fantastic that he's going to play for the Thunder and. Yeah, it is, but it's not. It's not meant to be glib. But um, if he's in the dressing room, even without a C next to his name, mm. he's gonna he's gonna help people like Jason Sanger and Tanvir Sanger and Chris Green immensely anyway. What about Smitty, mate? Has he signed with the Sixers? No, he hasn't. Okay, no. How, how's that looking? Um, I, I don't think it's looking likely right now, Mike. Okay. Um, you know, we 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 tried to get Steve, um, you know, to sign with us. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know what Steve is like as well. He's he's um, yeah he's reluctant to take a place on the list if it means someone else misses out, um, knowing that he he may not be able to commit his availability. And I think that just talks to the the spirit and the respect of Steve and what he has. So 
you know, we're, we're still really hopeful that when Steve gets through the test series, um, he's got a couple of weeks there between then and um, probably going to India, um, that he'd still like to play some big bash. So, you know, Moses Enriquez is talking to him every day, mm. and we're really hopeful that Steve will still be in Sixers colours by the end of the big bash. So he's not talking about going and signing with a UAE team or South African League before that tour to India? I haven't heard any talk of that, okay. What did you make, Lee, of Trent Bolt and Colin de Gronholm recently foregoing central contracts over there in New Zealand? Uh, to what extent do you believe this is the likely model for international players going forward, which is something that administrators such as yourself is going to be almost certainly dealing with? Yeah, it was interesting. Colin didn't let New Zealand cricket, though. <laughs> it just be part of it. Uh, but that doesn't surprise me about Colin either. Um, Look, I, I, I've described it this way, that often um, uh, for an indicator of where cricket is going in the world, look across the at New Zealand. And I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I say that because um, New Zealand cricket often moves early in times like this. I think New Zealand cricket was one of the first countries to really open the window for their players to play IPL. The reason being that the New Zealand cricketers are not remunerated as well as other, yeah. other countries. Yeah. So if you're looking at, at an indicator of what the world is going to look like, look at Trent Bolt and look at Colin de Grandhoek. Because I think the, the days of either free player agency or mixed contracts or hybrid arrangements is coming quicker than you think. Mm. And the, yeah, the players, sure. rightly so, are starting to say, well, you know, I should actually be comparing my earning ability, not necessarily to an AFL player in Australia, but almost to an NFL player in the States. Um, because you know, of, of what I can bring to the game and the amount of money that's in our sport globally. So I think it is a precursor to what is happening, and I think it's important that we stop treating players as tradable commodities and actually partner with them to find out how we can have our best players playing our best cricket. On that then, Lee, would you like to see the players still, if you're going to play for Australia, you need if you want to play Test cricket for Australia, then you need to be playing Sheffield Shield cricket for a state. If you want to play 2020 cricket for, for Australia, then you need to be a part of a, a BBL franchise. What's your take on that? I, I think it could be a mix. I think the, the four-day cricket and five-day cricket Test matches is, is, is is imperative, Michael. And one of my fears is that the five-day test match is going to diminish. Oh. Um, we, you know, we, if there's one thing I would, I would love the ICC to do is if they're going to focus in on one area, it's five-day cricket. Yeah, you know, because that's that is the thing that differentiates our sport. It's the it's the lifeblood of character within our sport. So you mean keep it keep or it, change yeah. it? Absolutely, no, no yes, got to keep it. Yeah, agree. On, if, agree. Yeah, I, I wouldn't wouldn't worry me if the ICC said we're not going to run any T20 international tournaments yeah. apart from a World Cup every two yeah. or three years. No, I've said that. Retain the sanctity yeah. of Test mm-hmm. cricket. So I think you, you'll probably find there'll be a mixed model there. I think it's it's going to be. Um, important in terms of the discussions that we have with the players around you know, what they really want to play and how we can get them playing the most important games for us. Yeah, well said. Now, we've recently seen, Lee, the state's new $60 million Centre of Excellence open there at Sydney Olympic Park. How's it unique? Oh, well, it's, it's I think, the best cricket facility in the world. Um, and I've, I've been overseas recently, and, and, and Michael, you'll see heaps of them as the others on the show. Um and it's, it's probably the best because it's the newest, right? So it's the best until probably someone builds something. Uh, but, you know, 15 indoor lanes, 43 outdoor lanes, plus 15 outdoor strips in the middle block. Um, it's, it's unique to Cricket New South Wales because it's the first time we've had, if you like, a one-stop shop. It's the first time we've had a, a ground that we're able to play Sheffield Shield cricket on as well as WNCL uh, and a world-class training facility for our players 
Uh, Mike, you probably remember the, the gym set up at the SCG yeah. where we took a couple of lanes in the indoor centre and put some machines in. Well, you know, this, this, is, this is world-class in terms of setup. It's got aquatic facilities. We've got different types of soil. We've got wacker soil and gabber soil to try and replicate conditions. Um, and we've got our, our um, staff and our players mixing. So, for example, there's only one kitchen in the place, which is upstairs. And so, you know, three weeks ago, Mitch Stark and Nathan Lyon wandered up the stairs and had their lunch and, uh, among the staff. And I think that's wonderful for us as an organisation. So we can we can have our young players training along, alongside. There's, out of those 15 indoor lanes, six are um, earmarked for high performance. But the other day, we had our breakers in there, our women's team, for example, there, and we had a pathway girls team training alongside them. So... It's hugely exciting, and, and um, you know, a lot of people have done a lot, lot of work to get us, get us here. So, so really proud to be in there now. Well, Lee, hopefully have a great summer of no COVID disruptions, <laughs> junior cricket thriving, <laughs> suburban cricket thriving, no floods at Benson's Lane, pup. Yep, keep it dry out at Benson. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I would say junior cricket registrations are uh, 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 back to pre-COVID levels, which is fantastic. Awesome. So we're, we're seeing some real interest in our game and big bash early tickets and memberships look strong. So, yeah, we're, re- we're really hopeful we're going to have a great, a great summer of international, domestic and uh, club and community cricket. Fascinating yeah. chat, mate. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Lee Jamon there, the boss of Cricket New South Wales. Clark, you love what he said. I think that's a great solution. You've said it a million times. 2020 international cricket. Just don't play World it. Cup. Yeah, we don't need it. Play World Cup. Why do we need it? No, nah, because... Meaningless. They've yeah. got no context well, the matches. And what makes it different oh. is test cricket and one-day cricket. We'd help preserve them. At the moment, every every player is prioritising in those two formats, playing for their country. So no one's choosing mm. to play for New South Wales over Australia. They'd rather play a test match for Australia. The difference in 2020 cricket is everyone is prioritising domestic 100%. over international. So get rid of international T20s. Just have a World Cup, and a World Cup every four years. Not every two years. Every four years, T20 World Cup. Bit more room in the schedule for the players to play in these domestic tournaments. And again, example, the BBL, I want to see the best players in the world coming and playing in Australia. Mm. You know, I want to see the Australian players playing in the BBL as well. But yeah, um, and the other thing I did like, Lee's straight. I, I like Lee because he's honest. He always says it how it is. And I think he makes a good point about the franchise as well, about privatise. It's now time. BBL needs more money if you're going to compete with the other domestic competitions. You pay the same amount of money, the player will play here, I'm telling you. They'll play here. They won't go to the UAE. They won't go to South Africa. The Australian players will choose here and the internationals will choose here because Australia is such an amazing country to come to. But we've got to find a way to match the money. He's on top of things. He's on top of things. He's got strong personal views. And the other thing I like about him, there's no corporate speak there. There's no no buzzwords. There's no, you know, trying to convince you that he's he's very... Straight to the point, yeah. gets the message across, yep. and everyone you know, understands where his thoughts are at. And, and wants to see Test Cricket very, be the number one priority. I love that. I love that thinking, because I still think it is. It's our pinnacle. It is what a player is judged on. You can have Chris Gale's record in T20 cricket, or you can have Brian Lara's Test record. I know who the world thinks is a better player. You're still judged on your Test cricket. Yep.